Welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I'm your host, Dave, and today's episode is going to be all about music, and uh, music is a very important thing to me. Uh, it's, it's part of the reason why I mention it in the intro, and I have a concept for an episode that is even more focused, or, or I guess themed towards music. But it's going to require a little more time to put together than I'd expected. So today, I'm going to be talking about uh, sort of the music of my life. I'm going to be going back to my earliest memories of music and and just going through my my own sort of personal history of being a fan of of music and discovering different types and and kinds and uh, the experiences that being a music fan have brought into my life. Uh, but before I get into that, I want to tell you that this coming Monday, June 3rd, I had to stop and think about that for a second, but that is correct, uh, June the 3rd at the Seven Stages Theater in Little Five Points as part of the Atlanta Fringe Festival, uh, myself, Mr. Bo Brown, and Matt Nitchie will be performing one-fifth of the Princess Bride as part of a very special event that's part of the Atlanta Fringe Festival called Five-Fifths of the Princess Bride. We have been working on this thing for a couple of months now. I am very excited. Uh, It's different from anything else I've ever done. The opportunity to work with Bo and Matt is very exciting. You may know them as the sci-fi janitors. Uh, You know Mr. Bo Brown as the man behind uh, the Dragon Con puppetry track, as well as all kinds of interviews and people I've spoken to on this show. Uh, it's it's hugely exciting, and it's going to be so much fun. I, I You guys, I, I'm sitting here wanting to tell you the whole thing right now, and obviously I cannot do that. You're going to have to wait for Monday, uh, June 3rd at Seven Stages Theater in Little Five Points. You can go on Facebook and look up Five-Fifths of Princess Bride, uh, you can go to AtlantaFringeFest.com, I believe is the address, although you know how to Google, look up Atlanta Fringe Festival, and you will find the whole deal there. Uh, I also, before we get into the episode proper, I want to tell you about SidewalkToys.com. Uh, they now have a storefront in Odin's Comics in Lilburn, Georgia, and they're, man, this place is great. Uh, you can find them on Facebook. The, the SidewalkToys.com will actually take you to the Facebook page. But the in stock, like in person, they have 112 Collective, releases from NACA, Marvel Legends, like basically all the cool toys that we cover on NeedlessThingsPodcast.com and here on the show uh, when we talk about toys, you can get through SidewalkToys.com. He does pre-orders. Uh, you can, but but the cool thing to me is you can walk right in and see stuff like the 112 Collective figures in person. He's got a display case full of them, uh, and and you don't have to just order them sight unseen online like you typically have to do. Uh, but like I said, he also has a current selection of NECA, like the Aliens and Predator figures, uh, the forthcoming Candyman figure that's uh, coming out. And uh, full Marvel Legends, Funko, uh, a little bit of everything. Uh, and it's all current stuff. Like Target, for example, that carries the NACA toys, still hasn't received the most recent, or at least none of the Targets in my area have received the most recent uh, Aliens series and he's had it in there for like a month now Uh, he gets his stuff direct from the companies and it's all msrp you're not going in there and paying a specialty store markup uh when you go in if the msrp for a 112 collective figure is 75 bucks he's selling it for 75 bucks it's fantastic uh it's really a great experience walking in there uh talking to ishman who's the guy that runs uh sidewalk toys and I love having a place to go for for toys like that again. It's great because uh, the uh, it seems to me that the NACA experience at Target 
might be sort of falling through. I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, but fewer and fewer targets seem to actually have NACA products, and they certainly don't seem to be getting new items in. So, you know, it's great to have this alternative. So SidewalkToys.com, go check them out. And uh, every single week, new stuff coming in, and you can pre-order through them as well. So there you go. Great stuff. New friend of the show. I'm very excited. Moving on, I, I think I've done my, I, I made a few weeks ago, I was like, I, I want to put over stuff uh, more regularly on the show, and I'm, I, I feel pretty good. Granted, one of those things I'm part of, but, you know, what are you going to do? So let's talk about music a little bit. I love music, and it's always weird to me when I run into somebody who isn't quite as passionate about music as I am. Like, oh yeah, I listen to the radio, or, or uh, yeah, I just put on whatever's on Spotify, or... Uh, it's it's odd to me that somebody wouldn't have a collection of thousands of CDs or uh, wouldn't know like every album of specific bands or it's it's just something from a very early age that I just loved it and it's because of my parents that I do both of my parents are huge music fans uh, my dad had a very large collection of records when I was young and I didn't listen to, you know, on, on my own, obviously uh, when I was very young, I didn't have permission to touch any of them. But at one point I started having my own records and the first ones I remember being specifically mine, uh, were some of the Muppets records that came out with music from the Muppet show, uh, the Muppet movie soundtrack, uh, those, those were the ones that was some of the first music that I think of as mine that that I those albums were bought for me and that I could go and put them on the record player myself and this was an old school obviously this was uh late 70s early 80s my memories after we moved to Georgia in uh in 81 are a little more distinct and but it was the same wood grain turntable uh with the big you know they all seem to have that sort of smoky plastic top on them uh or at least all the all the ones i've had even the one i've got right now that's a much more modern turntable uh has that same smoky plastic although it's covered in stickers from rock bands uh, that i've gotten over the years but uh the the big i think technics maybe turntable and and i was eventually when i got old enough to know how to handle records properly uh, i would be able to go and put that muppets record you know, on the turntable myself, but you know, those weren't that, that's not even where the love came from because my, some of my fondest music memories, even at this point, having been to countless shows, having worked in music clubs, uh, owning, you know, however much, however many hours of music I own now, uh, some of my favorite music memories are of our road trips as a family because we, like I said, we relocated from Gastonia, North Carolina to a, to uh, Norcross, Georgia in 1981. And my family, though, like uh, every, everybody except for myself, my parents, and later my sister, uh, but all my grandparents, aunts, uncles, all that kind of stuff, uh, were in Wilmington, North Carolina. And we went up there a lot. My, my mom was very, very close to her parents, uh, my granny and papa. And we would travel up there basically every every time that we could we you know we weren't up there every weekend or anything but if it was a long weekend we were probably going up there we went up there for uh a couple of weeks every single summer maybe twice during the summer uh i know sometimes just my mom and i would go up there and my dad would you know stay at home to work because you can't just take vacation all the time uh but that was that was where we went those were our trips those were our vacations and i loved it that way but on those road trips in the car, uh, the my dad had all of these mixtapes that he had made. Uh, so, well, some of them were mixtapes, and some of them were just straight up recordings uh, of records. He he would uh, record everything onto cassette tapes so we could listen to them in the car. And you know, it's funny to think back to that, um, and that he did you know he's obviously the first person i know of that was doing that making these 
uh, you know, buying it on vinyl and recording it onto cassette. Uh, it's not I didn't, until I was talking about it just now. You know, isn't that an interesting thing? that instead of just listening to the radio, he wanted to have that stuff with him. And I don't know, you know, I was five, six, seven, eight years old at the time. Uh, and, and I don't know if that was something that everybody was doing, if that was common practice, if that was like the hot new technology. I'm honestly not sure uh, what what the status was on that. But I remember all he had these uh, cases of dozens of cassettes and each one labeled with every song that was on it. You know, he didn't just put it on the cassette and uh, know that this is, you know, Rolling Stones or whatever. Each song that was on there, even if he was just recording the, the album straight to the cassette, uh, it would have every song title listed on that, that white uh, folding insert that went into the cassette tape case. But the the oldies were it for me when we were on those road trips we would listen to the american graffiti soundtrack uh all kinds of compilations of music from the 50s and the 60s the stuff that my parents grew up listening to uh you know just like it's crazy to me to think that now uh in 2019 the music of 1989 that i was listening to when i was 13 years old is the equivalent of music from 1951 that we were listening to in 1981. Like, how crazy is that? That's wild. So, uh, the it blows my mind. It really just blows my mind how the time passes. And as we get older, how much faster it passes. I don't like thinking about the fact... Uh, that at this point in my life, the all the music I loved so much are the equivalent of the oldies I was listening to when I was a little kid, but that's how it is. Uh, but yeah, that you had the American Graffiti soundtrack with Wolfman Jack, so every single song on there is just ingrained into my brain, and to this day, I still have a copy of that uh, that we'll listen to from time to time when we're traveling. Um, so so that's kind of where it started, is those road trips. I mean, when we were in the car, we were listening to music. Even just driving around town, uh, always there there was uh, Fox 97 was the oldie station. As a matter of fact, uh, my cousin, J.J. Jackson, was a DJ for Fox 97 for years and years. And he did, the, I think, the Sunday morning show. But Fox 97 was a, a huge deal in Atlanta uh, in the 80s, and they they played what people that were my age now back then wanted to listen to. And it bums me out a little bit that radio kind of isn't a, a thing anymore. I, 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 don't, I couldn't even tell you the last time I listened to a radio station. Uh, I, I really can't because... Uh, well, well, we'll get to how radio evolved as well. I'll talk about that a little bit, but for now I'm going to stick to my, my own personal musical journey. Uh, so those those vinyl records, playing them at home, uh, the Muppets, and then gradually getting stuff like, I remember my mom bringing home the Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack, and uh, I remember getting Minute Work uh, Cargo and you know pop music entered into it michael jackson's thriller obviously uh we had that every home in america had that uh which kind of sidetracks me off to something else a little bit in that you know back then you had a few tv channels you had a few radio stations and everybody was kind of listening to the same thing. And this is something we discussed in depth on an older episode of the Needless Things podcast. Uh, if you can scroll through the covers, I, I can't look up the episode right now, but it had uh, Taylor Swift and Hulk Hogan. And it was about 80s pop culture. And if it was even possible for a, a person, a celebrity to be as big now as they were in the 80s because back then everybody was kind of on the same page we all like my mom knew who Whitney Houston was like everybody to a certain extent was watching and listening to mostly the same things and that's not to say there wasn't a fringe and that's not to say 
there weren't independent artists uh, out there doing their thing, but we were kind of all on the same track. And I don't want to sound too old fogey-ish, but is that part of why it's so easy for people to be separated and splintered now is because it is so easy to immerse yourself in your own thing. Uh, and, and there are too many options available. So you just kind of go off and do your own thing and, and you don't have that communication anymore and you don't have those common pop culture touchstones anymore. Uh, but that that's an episode that, that, well, like I said, we have already covered to a certain extent and probably could be revisited uh, again another day. So radio is huge. Uh, I, I started getting into pop music thanks to MTV. Uh, that was the huge thing. Michael Jackson was was it. He was the biggest name in the world. Everything he did was huge. Uh, for years, music videos uh, from Thriller to to Bad. I remember the first time, and, and this sounds crazy, I remember the first time I saw the video for Beat It. Now, I can't tell you what's so special about Beat It. I really can't. I, I don't know what it, what how it, why it got me as a kid. I know that they were dressed cool. Uh, if you go and watch that video, that uh, it's funny because I see complaints now about when something like Stranger Things embraces that retro look. Uh, which uh, Stranger Things is a bad example because in general they do a pretty good job of it. Like how those kids dress is how I was dressing in the 80s. It's not too exaggerated. But sometimes when movies or TV try to embrace an 80s aesthetic, they embrace not what the people were wearing, but what the the stars, what the music videos showed, what the movies showed, which was not entirely genuine. And that's when you look at something like Michael Jackson's Beat It and the way that they're dressed in that video... You know, that's what was being presented. That was the ideal. When you're a kid uh, and you see people dressed with the the cut-off T-shirts and the spiked leather, not spiked, studded leather wristbands and the headbands and, the, you know, the, the big hair and the tight parachute pants and all that kind of stuff, like, that was, you know, there were people that dressed like that, for sure. Don't let anybody tell you different. I, every kid in my school at some point had a pair of parachute pants. That was not uncommon or outrageous in any way. You didn't dress like that every day. Uh, you know, maybe you got one one pair, TJ Maxx, off-season, a year later, but you had them, and you wore them every once in a while. Well, once a week, probably, as, as often as your mother would let you. But mostly it was jeans and the striped, you know, polo shirt type deal. Uh, you know, care, licensed licensed T-shirts and stuff weren't as big a thing back then. At least for me, they weren't. I didn't have any. The only G.I. Joe shirt I had was one that I got like a G.I. Joe magazine that came with an iron-on of the G.I. Joe logo, and my mom ironed it on a T-shirt for me. But I didn't have, like, Mr. T shirts and Transformers shirts, and, like, that just wasn't as prevalent then as it is now. But we're not talking about 80s pop culture. We're talking about music. Uh, but I got a little off track, which I'm bound to do from time to time during this episode because there's so many memories and so many portions of my life so intricately and intimately tied into music uh but yeah pop music i i it, it was huge in the 80s everybody was listening to what was on mtv what was on top 40 radio and uh, i was no different I, and michael jackson absolutely was probably the first celebrity uh aside from kermit the frog uh that i really was aware of how big and important they were and and you may sort of roll your eyes at the idea of referring to a pop culture icon or a musician as important but they were important michael jackson made huge cultural changes uh in america specifically but really across the globe uh, so i i 
I was aware of him. I liked once I discovered Prince. I liked his music a little more, but I wasn't as comfortable listening to it because I could tell there was something a little more salacious and a little more. Uh, I, obviously, I wouldn't have known what sexy was at the time, but you know, Prince in the bathtub. I, I it gave me a feeling of should I even be watching this? And it was you know it's just on MTV. It's in the middle of a block of videos, but uh, definitely a little uncomfortable. This if if mom walked in right now, that wouldn't be cool. So it took me a few years before I really embraced Prince uh, in the way that I do now. Uh, Michael Jackson was my guy, but then. And I mentioned Beat It. Seeing that video and the dancing and just how cool he seemed to be walking around with all these tough dudes. Uh, And that guitar riff also. uh, Enough can't be said about the cool guitar riff in Beat It. So that video was just massive. And honestly, MTV, the role of MTV in my musical life can't be underplayed either. Because that is where I discovered almost everything. Uh, Radio, like I said, on the road trips and stuff, we were listening to Fox 97, so I wasn't discovering anything new in the oldies. And look, I loved those oldies, and I love them now still. Uh, There's so much sweetness in that music, and there's also some really cool, dirty rock and roll from that era. But you're not going to make any current discoveries listening to that kind of stuff so mtv which i was able to watch on my own at home was where i found my music so next up for me was weird al and seeing the video for eat it and again i remember I have the feelings still from the first time I saw that video for Eat It. What is happening? What? Who is this guy? Why is he... This is funny. But why is he doing this? Can you do this? It's Michael Jackson's song, but he's saying Eat It. And he's talking about kids are starving in Japan. And he's doing all the dances and stuff. But it's silly. Oh, look, he's tying the wrist together, but they have a, a knife and a fork or a couple of forks or whatever, a fork and a spoon maybe. What? What? What is... I, I was baffled and enchanted at the same time, which honestly, uh, all of my favorite things, that's generally my my initial reaction to them is, is a complete lack of understanding, uh, but an inexplicable uh, attraction to them. So I threw Eat It, once again on MTV, I discovered Weird Al. The first Weird Al cassette I bought with my own money was Polka Party. But I think I had N3D prior to that. I can't, ex- I can't actually remember beyond the first two cassettes I bought with my very own money, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, I don't. I don't really remember my cassette collection all that well or how the progression went. Uh, But, so Weird Al, the first music I, I got into, I would say, and made my own decision that I was going to like. Because Michael Jackson, everybody loved Michael Jackson back then. That wasn't, like, you saw Michael Jackson, he was everywhere, and everybody had Thriller, and it was just a thing. And there was no not liking him. There was no making the decision to like him. He w- he just was. Uh, very much like Tom King's recent Miracle Man comic kept uh, the repetition of Dark Side is. Michael Jackson is. And that's just how that was. Weird Al was the first musical artist that I made a conscious decision uh, that I was a fan and that I liked it. But between getting that Weird Al cassette, because now that I'm talking about it, I think I was actually surprised to discover that Weird Al had albums. Uh, My thinking 
maybe early on was that he just did these funny parody videos and that that was it because i want to say like a surgeon maybe uh was the next one that i saw but thinking back i think it was a surprise to me to discover that weird al had actual albums available uh and so prior to buying polka party that first album and i think i bought it when it was relatively new uh i discovered run dmc and the video again mtv walk this way changed my life because again guitar riffs very important and walk this way featuring aerosmith uh that that confrontation between the two of them with the eventual resolution and they're playing on stage together uh it's it's such a cool fun very very 80s video uh at the time i didn't know who aerosmith was i had no idea uh, it was a run dmc I, actually and again as i'm telling you guys these things it's all coming back to me so run watching that video I believe I had some familiarity with Run DMC, but at the very least, it was clear that Walk This Way was their music video. Uh, They're the protagonists, if you will. And I thought that Joe Perry and Steven Tyler, who were in the video with Run DMC, I thought they were just some white guys for hire that were playing a rock band that were part of Run DMC's video. Like it was an it was the narrative. Run DMC's trying to chill out and be cool and 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 you know do their cool black guy thing and these annoying white generic rock and roll guys are next door making a bunch of noise. It's hilarious to realize that I I had no idea who Aerosmith were at the time. I I didn't know that Steven Tyler and Joe Perry were anybody of note. I literally thought they were just hired for that video. Uh, So, Walk This Way, I absolutely loved it. And uh, Fight for Your Right to Party, I think was right around the same time. But I do know for sure that the first two cassettes I bought with my own allowance money were Run DMC Raising Hell and Beastie Boys Licensed to Ill. And those two cassettes very much set the tone for the next, you know, decade of my life. Not not that I was going to run out and uh, roll myself a, a wooler and and get a uh, oh gosh uh, lyrics i'm not even gonna try but you know what i mean it's not like i was trying to ape those lifestyles it's not like i even understood most of what the beastie boys and run dmc were talking about i didn't and it's funny now uh you know on on raising hell uh, there, there are a couple of instances of profanity. There's, there's, uh, I think one or two uses of the N word at the very end of the album, uh, which was shocking to me at the time. But uh, those cassettes got played over and over and over and over again. Uh, not obviously. I think one time I tried to play raising hell for my parents i don't know what i well i know what i was thinking when you're a little kid you are enthusiastic about things and you want to share that enthusiasm with your parents with your family and uh you don't necessarily you're not thinking about how your parents are going to receive things you just know i'm so excited about this thing and you know i can't wait to to share it and to see that excitement reflected back at me and unfortunately when you're a kid what you're excited about is probably pretty different from what your parents might be excited about to the point where it may be inaccessible and i've learned this uh you know having an 11 year old son i I try to be as cool as i can Uh, not not cool as in like cool and hip but cool as in 
understanding of his interests and and try to show as much interest as I possibly can. Uh, but there are some things that he's really into that I just don't get. And uh, looking back, I I see those times when I'd be like, "Oh, Dad, check this out," and uh, it would get the old, "Huh." I I I feel that huh and i try to never ever express it but i understand it uh so back in the day how i listened to cassettes was on a originally on a silver sony walkman now if you don't know and you probably do because i would imagine the average listener uh, of this show is probably old enough to at least be aware of the Sony Walkman, if not to have actually owned one. Uh, but the first one I had, a, a silver Sony Walkman, it was all metal, and it had a very thin panel that opened up, and you put the cassette, uh, I believe the cassette actually slid into the panel that opened and then pushed into place. Uh, and then I had the earphones that came with it. You, we didn't upgrade earphones back then. You just used whatever came with the the player that you got. So the first earphones I had were a, a metal, a thin metal strip with the padded foam earphones that didn't cover your ear. Uh, plugged into it. So on that, I listened to. The copies of the Minute Work albums, Michael Jackson albums, that my dad had recorded from the records that we owned. Uh, I listened to that Beastie Boys and Run DMC over and over and over again. And real quick, I want to mention another one that I absolutely wore out. And that is the 1990, so I would have been 14 years old, the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles soundtrack. That is another one that I remember listening to over and over again. Uh, absolutely loved it. Turtle Power, one of the greatest movie songs of all time. Uh, that's by Partners in Crime. That's Crime. I believe it's with a K-R-Y-M-E. And it might even be... Uh, that might even stand for something, but I, I'm not sure. But uh, that was another huge album that i loved uh fat boys i had a fat boys cassette i am trying now to think back to my collection of cassettes i know there was a there were a few that i wanted to upgrade but you had to make big decisions then like i had thriller recorded from the record onto a cassette but see when you've got that and you've got your cassette box that you travel around with you don't feel as cool pulling out that TDK cassette with the songs written on it on, on the insert as you do pulling out the actual cassette of Thriller with the album cover and on the side is Michael Jackson Thriller. Like there, there's a cool factor to having the actual cassette sound quality wise. I bet it didn't matter a bit. Uh, but cool factor wise, there were times when I just wanted to upgrade that cassette, and uh, or upgrade to that cassette, because you got to have your music everywhere you go. And I did, whether it was Boy Scouts, whether it was trips, whether it was going somewhere with the church youth group, I always had my Walkman. Now later on, I upgraded to the Sony Sport Walkman when it came out. What this was was a yellow plastic water probably not waterproof probably water resistant uh everything was rounded it seemed very cool and and uh sea lab like there were no corners on it it was all rounded edges and there was a a black rubber gasket between the tray and now that I, okay again now that i'm talking about it i remember that first silver walkman the panel opened up you put the cassette in and closed the panel it was the sport walkman i had where i believe you put it actually put the cassette in the door and then it pushed into place but uh it had a black gasket around where the door closed there was black rubber on all the buttons there were little uh tabs or there was a little tab that 
pushed into where you uh, put the headphones, the headphone jack. Uh, a little rubber circle with a plug that stuck in there when you weren't using it. Uh, it was just, it just seemed so cool at the time. Uh, I never got it anywhere near water at all. It was purely bought for the look of that sport Walkman. I don't even like the color yellow, uh, but that was the thing at the time. Everybody upgraded to those Sony sport Walkmans when that happened. Uh, you know, it's funny, the Star-Lord, the Walkman that he has, and oh, there you go, that's that's our touchstone right there for the Walkman, Star-Lord's Walkman in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Uh, no Walkman I remember ever looked like that, that blue and orange uh, Walkman. It's, it's neat, and design-wise, it probably reflects something, but those colors were just not something that existed in that point in time. But that's okay, because you know what else didn't exist at that point in time? Uh, talking raccoons from outer space and men with red mohawks who could control a dart with their whistling. Those things also did not exist in the 80s, so we're going to let that slide. Uh, so the the cassettes were just huge, and I bought that Weird Al Polka Party cassette, and uh, that was how I got, you know, I still listen to the radio because radio was a, a constant presence. And, and when I'm, you know, in the car or whatever with my parents, we're listening to, as I said, Fox 97 uh, and MTV constantly introducing me to new things. And the pop music of the 80s. Now, Madonna. Obviously, I wanted to watch every Madonna video that came on. Every single time one came on, no matter how many times I'd seen it, I would watch it again. Uh, she was the coolest, but things were different back then. And being a 9, 10, 11, 12, whatever year old boy and being super into Madonna probably wouldn't have been cool actually another memory that popped into my head just now speaking of of maybe not being cool i love duran duran uh, mainly because of a view to a kill the fact that they made a song for a james bond movie made them some of the coolest people in the world so i've i went through a duran duran phase for a while and i actually had a duran duran poster up on my wall of them in these nice 80s looking suits with their makeup on and their fancy hair and uh, basically looking like a bunch of sexy bitches and my dad hated that poster I, I am I can't even imagine it and, and look when I, I'll be talking about my parents a little bit as I go through these memories and you gotta understand they were born in the mid 40s and as they were growing up, America was a certain way. And you don't hold people's eras and lives against them. Uh, they can grow and they can evolve, but it, it's, it's ruthless and ignorant to hold uh, somebody from another era to the standards of, of today throughout their life and that's something that people seem to do right now and i think it's horrible and i certainly don't do that to my parents so having said that i am fairly certain that the pop culture stylings of the 80s and the, some of the things that i enjoyed made my dad absolutely positive that i was gay and that duran duran poster i think there was no I, he probably went into work and uh was kind of asking around like, do you know about this Duran Duran business? A bunch of gay boys in suits making music. Well, well, Tom, they did the they did the the music for the James Bond movie. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? I guess so. And over the years, you know, I think about the difficulties my dad has had in adjusting to to times changing, and and he has. He he is not a uh, bigoted or prejudiced person neither one of my parents are in any way I was raised in a very uh, there were no prejudices in my household there were no racial pejoratives there were no suggestions 
uh, that that any type of person was any better than any other type of person. Uh, now, at the time, the sexuality and, and gender identity and all, all this kind of business wasn't even an issue, so that didn't really get brought up. You know, it's not... It's not like I ever had a conversation with my dad where he said, you better not be gay, but I'm sure in his head a few times the thought, I hope he's not gay, I'm sure that occurred to him uh, because of the era he came from. And, and you know, that's you, you, you can't hold that against somebody. Uh, you know, and, and if go if any of his grandchildren or nieces or nephews or anything uh were gay or or had any any of the uh anything like that had anything like that gosh that sounds so terrible i'm 43 you guys i'm adjusting to things too uh it, but but if any of his grandchildren nieces nephews were gay or had any kind of gen- gender identity uh I don't want to say issues because that's not the right word, but you know what I mean. He would be accepting and loving. He he wouldn't kick anybody out of the house. He would never, ever even think of doing something like that. And my mom, I, I mentioned my dad more so than my mom because my mom is, is always been loving and accepting of everything. Uh, but my, but my dad, he, he is not a kick you out of the house person. He is. Uh, I'm going to understand this, and we're going to uh, keep going person uh, and it may take him a long time to understand things but he's gonna get there so so i gotta give them a lot of credit for that and and speaking about uh sexual politics and identity and everything else that was another place where pop music and mtv had such a huge hand in making me and probably most of my generation uh tolerant and able to pave the way for where things are now uh, you had Boy George, you had Madonna, you had Prince, you had all of these people addressing, uh, George Michael, uh, addressing sexuality and identity. And you just, you saw these things and sometimes they were shocking and sometimes they were interesting and sometimes they made you feel feelings you didn't quite understand. And, you know, when I said Michael Jackson was important, all of these people were important. You have to go back. I gotta pause for a little sip of water here. I realize I skipped right over our typical interstitial music, and I'll, I'll make that up to you later on in the show. Uh, but when you go back and you look at these artists in the '80s, and sometimes they get kind of dismissed and and brushed under the rug, and and oh they're silly, and oh uh, you know oh look at MTV videos, ha ha ha. But you've got to understand that these artists, for whatever reason they were making the statements that they were, they did pave the way for the change that we're experiencing in the world now. Uh, You know, Prince's uh, ambiguity and androgyny, uh, Madonna's outright sexuality, uh, George Michael and and the way he addressed sexuality with with his videos all of that stuff people my age grew up seeing that and it it changed the progression of society there's no denying that so on the one hand it's pop culture fluff but on the other hand this is how the world changes is through art uh so to continue on my own personal journey, uh, after taking a little sidetrack to get deep there, uh, before I was done with cassettes, I discovered heavy metal. Uh, thanks to MTV and staying up very late at night whenever I could. And I wish I could remember the first metal I heard. I wish I could tell you what video, what band, whatever, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, what I do know is the first metal band that I was passionate about and that I was a fan of was Metallica. They got huge 
and were everywhere. And the first, oh, I, I totally skipped over the first live concert I ever went to. Uh, although I've talked about it on the show before, so I'm not going to go too deep into it uh, now. You can go back to the Beastie Boys episode from a couple of years ago and hear the story if you'd like. But my dad took me to see Run DMC and the Beastie Boys. Uh, I have been saying for years that it was the Houston Astrodome. It was not. It was at a different venue in Houston, uh, which I discovered recently going through. Uh, there's a website, uh, setlist.fm. It's a great website. If you go there, you can find uh, just about every concert every major concert ever and find out what the set list was very often find out the venue the date that sort of thing because i've got ticket stubs from a lot of the shows that i've seen but not nearly as many as i thought i had so if you go to setlist.fm you can track down so much information about live shows and and it was through that that i discovered that beastie boys run dmc show was somewhere other than the astrodome but it is still a fact that my dad took me, and it is still a fact that I was very uncomfortable at the Beastie Boys live show in 1987. Uh, so the next show that I saw, the next concert that I went to, was also the very first concert that I went to unaccompanied by parents uh, with just me and my friends, and we went and saw Metallica at the Omni. And this is another one where I have had to sort of figure some things out but it was either 1990 or 1991 i can't remember right now but it is uh i had a post uh, top 10 best concerts on needlessthingspodcast.com or actually at this point i think it's on oldneedlessthings.com uh so if you go to oldneedlessthings.com which is where the previous needless things is archived you can find all the old articles from the past 10 years there uh but there's a top 10 concerts ever and that metallica show that i went to with my friends we we were you know way up we weren't close to the stage at all but we went on our own and your old pal dum dum dave bought a t-shirt that i could have bought from like spencer gifts the next day if i wanted to and i don't know why i didn't like tour date shirts for some reason, for years, I would not buy concert t-shirts that had tour dates on them. I, I, I can't explain it to this day. I think back and remember specifically not wanting tour dates. I, 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 just, I don't know. I don't know, you guys. It was dumb. It was stupid. So I still have the shirt I bought at that show, uh, and, and it's I, I still love the shirt. It's uh, Don't Tread on Me. But it's the uh, it's a pus head designed snake uh, of a Mobius strip. Very interesting shirt, uh, but no tour dates on it. So dumb. Uh, anyway, saw Metallica live, and it blew my mind. That the Beastie Boys Run DMC Run DMC. Oh, how is there not a cover band called Run DMC? I'm sure there is out there. Uh, so. Uh, the Beastie Boys Run DMC show was one thing. I was 11 years old. I was with my dad. It was very uncomfortable, and it was incredible seeing those guys up on stage, and it was a very different experience from listening to the album, obviously, because the album is, is, yes, there's a lot of filthy innuendo. There's a lot of reference to drug use. There's reference to walking around with guns, act, you know, having a gun making you a big man or whatever, like a lot of immature bullshit that, again... I don't think you can hold the modern Beastie Boys responsible for what the 18-year-old Beastie Boys were doing in 1986. That's a little ignorant and stupid. Uh, but there are a lot of bad messages in that album. It's fun, and it's hilarious, and it's ridiculous. Uh, and if you read Beastie Boys' book, which you absolutely should, you, you see what their mindset was at the time. Uh, but there was no profanity. There's, there's certainly no overtly... Uh, offensive things to an 11 year old but then to see the stage so stage show live with your dad sitting next to you with uh half naked girls in cages at the front of the stage king ed rock walking over to the monitor and flipping it off every 30 seconds like that experience i cherish the memory but it was uncomfortable and overall not a great experience metallica on the other hand seeing these guys play for two and a half hours uh just working working 
I have never seen a band work as hard as Metallica did, and at the same time, very obviously, uh, we're loving every minute of it. It was just incredible, and and obviously it costs a lot of money to go see Metallica live right now, but I do highly recommend everybody check out that uh, Binge and Purge box set. I'm sure you can find the videos on YouTube at this point. I'm sure you can find plenty of Metallica live videos check out Metallica live. Uh, if, if the only way you can do it is online, I absolutely understand that. But just to see these guys practicing their craft is, is absolutely incredible. It's mind blowing and it blew my mind and it set me down a path, uh, where not by any means did I leave Beastie Boys and run DMC behind or Weird Al. Uh, they definitely, my, my fandom was just as strong for those guys uh, over the next several years as it had been since I found them. But it did put a new fork in my road, or not a new fork in the road, but just added a new layer, I guess, to my musical journey. And uh, that metal became what I was about. And that led to the next band that I would say I found or I decided to love sort of on my own because in in their own way Metallica was almost like Michael Jackson as far as being that age being a young man you were going to be a Metallica fan and the Black Album had just come out and was one of the biggest things ever so you you just kind of were into Metallica you just were in in the early 90s in 1990 1991 whatever it was uh, but then Anthrax, well, and you know what? Now that I'm saying 1991, it was actually Injustice for All was where we all, me and my friends all were sort of, we all sort of became Metallica fans. Uh, because I, the, this next band, I chose on my own, so to speak, Anthrax. Uh, I know I was listening to before Persistence of Time came out. Uh, which was 1990. So that would have been prior to seeing Metallica live. But Anthrax was another band that I, I made a choice to love. Gosh, surely, surely I wasn't listening to Anthrax in 1987, uh, which would have been when, uh, let's see, State of Euphoria was 88. I guess it was right around State of Euphoria would have been when I discovered Anthrax and realized that they were my guys. That, yes, I loved Metallica. Yes, I loved Megadeth. But Anthrax spoke to me. They were a little more fun. Uh, they did songs about Stephen King books and about Judge Dredd and, and didn't seem to take themselves quite as seriously as the other metal bands that were around at the time. So the, the, I adopted them, and they were my guys, and, and I absolutely loved them. And that whole, that whole metal thing, it was an interesting scene at the time because there was a lot of music that kind of went along with metal. Like, I listened to Metallica... And White Snake, and, and I never liked that stuff. Like White Snake and Mr. Big and Warrant, uh, which I guess predates Metallica becoming as big as they were. Because I, I did kind of skip over the whole hair metal thing. I that stuff. I listened to it. I'm not gonna lie. I watched the videos. I listened to it. I never owned a Poison tape. Uh, I never owned a Motley Crue tape. Uh, warrant, like all of that stuff. I never owned any of it. I had, uh, I did own a couple of Bon Jovi tapes for sure, which is funny to me because 43 year old me looking back, Motley Crue is way cooler than Bon Jovi. But in my mind at the time, uh, Bon Jovi was cooler and, and maybe, I don't know. I can't explain it at all. I have absolutely no reasoning for that. Uh, <laughs> but I, the the hair metal thing, I watched the videos. Uh, I listened to it whenever it was on or whatever. But it was not my bag. Uh, 
I I didn't I didn't want to buy that music. So my friends that did listen to Metallica and Anthrax and later on Slayer because Slayer Slayer was a whole different thing. You got to understand in the late eighties, early nineties, uh, the openly professed or open satanic imagery i guess whatever you'd say slayer seemed dangerous and scary uh like they seemed legit it wouldn't if you had told 11 12 13 year old me that slayer like murdered people on tour i probably would have believed it you know i come from the generation where it was taken as fact that kiss stood for knights in satan's service that that's just what it was. So you got to understand that it was a different time. No internet, no verification of facts, urban legends and uh, pop culture stories and that sort of thing. You, you sort of took what you could get and your buddy down the street, maybe he had a source of information you didn't know about. So when he tells you something like ACDC stands for After Christ the Devil Comes, uh, you just kind of take it and believe it because they're weird Australian dudes, even though their videos are strangely inoffensive and sexy. Uh, <laughs> so we seem at this point, I feel like I've kind of hit the CD era and maybe I leave the CD era for another day. Uh, I had I had thought honestly that in an hour's time I could cover f- from what I'm thinking of as from the Muppets to Ghost because that's essentially my musical trajectory <laughs> um, from you know listening to Muppets albums as a child to a couple of years ago discovering Ghost and and them being the first new like big band that I truly loved in the last like decade almost. Uh, I thought I could cover that in an hour, and it looks like I was wrong. Uh, instead, what I've managed to cover is those first records of the Muppets, uh, and then also on vinyl. Uh, we didn't call it vinyl back then. They were all just records. Minute Work, Michael Jackson. Uh, never had any Prince records. Um, Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack was a big one. All that stuff. Uh, up through the cassette era, listening to all that stuff on my Walkman, just wearing out. I remember one time uh, at Boy Scouts, I was listening to Are You Ready for Freddy by the Fat Boys really loud because I would I love that song. I loved it. I loved Freddy Krueger. I loved Nightmare on Elm Street. And uh, I, I mean, I liked the Fat Boys a lot, but they had... Okay, they did Wipeout, and Are You Ready for Freddy, I believe, might have been on the same album. And I would rewind and listen to those songs over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, And I can't, now that I'm thinking about it, I can't remember if the Fat Boys did the twist or Wipeout first. I think the twist might have come first. But uh, whatever the case, I remember listening to Are You Ready for Freddy super loud. And one of the Boy Scout leader guys asking me if that was okay and if I needed to turn it down a little bit because he could hear what I was listening to. And I just didn't think it was all that loud. And I'm sure it was, and I'm sure I damaged my hearing from listening to it. Uh, so, yeah, those those cassette days, the last few cassettes that I got, as a matter of fact, I know for a fact the very last cassette that I bought was Anthrax, Attack of the Killer Bees, uh, which is a collection of B-sides and outtakes uh, from, I think, Spreading the Disease and Persistence of Time. And it's great, and it's where Anthrax is probably best-known song of all time, their collaboration with Public Enemy, Bring the Noise. It's where that came from, or it's, it's what album that was released on. And I listened to that so many times and I will tell you the story the next time I get back to these musical reminiscences which I I may try to have uh, I may try to have a guest on next time to have somebody to sort of uh, go back and forth with 
and uh, we'll see what future installments end up bring, bringing. I can tell you the next episode, though, will be about CDs and how my dad was an insane CD purist from the very moment that CDs started coming out and that I wanted to have nothing to do with them. Uh, but we'll have to cover that in the next installment. I don't know when it'll come. I don't know what it'll be about. Uh, but I will say this. I am visiting my parents in North in good old Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, in just under a month. And if I can convince my dad to come back on the show, we will talk about CDs and, and the CD revolution. And I'll share some uh, memories of how that went down and why Anthrax Attack of the Killer Bees was the very last cassette I ever bought. So I hope you guys have enjoyed this look back at my own personal musical history. Uh, music means a lot to me. It is my constant companion. I actually get a little bummed out about podcasts sometimes because it means I'm listening to music less in the car than I used to. But I will tell you right now, I'm getting ready to wrap this thing up. I'm going to walk over to the record player, and I'm going to put on Anthrax's new album of covers called Anthems, and listen to that and probably a couple more albums before this day is done. So music is, has been, and always will be my constant companion. And I think it's a universal form of communication in a way that very few things are. And even if we don't all love the same things we can all appreciate the energy and the passion that goes into creating the music that we love. Like, even if somebody doesn't like the music that you like, you can appreciate the fact that they've gone to shows, they've they've got favorite artists, that there's a certain... Again, it's one of those connections of fandom that brings us all together and makes us all as humans understand at least a little bit of what each other are about. So there you go. And uh, now, in the spirit of sharing music, I'm going to play a little something for you from our pals, the KBK, uh, which you can find on Facebook and at deepeddy.net under Kill Baby Kill uh, or also the KBK. They were formerly known as Kill Baby Kill, but as we get older, we realize maybe that's not a nice message to send. Maybe we should call ourselves the KBK, which I think is pretty much what happened there. Uh, So please enjoy, since we're getting ready to start another needless summer, Psycho Beach Party by the KBK. They should all drown in lakes of blood. Now they will know why they are afraid of the dark. Now they will learn why they fear the night.
Well, I hope you enjoyed that fun trip down memory lane. It, I didn't really expect it to to be what it was. I honestly thought I would cover uh, Muppets to Ghost in the span of an hour, which was probably foolish. So look for, in all likelihood, two more editions like this. One that will discuss the CD age and one that will discuss the digital media age because I think that's kind of how these things are going to break down because today was mostly cassettes uh, with just just a dab of vinyl. I guess we'll start with vinyl and we'll end with vinyl, won't we? Uh, oh, I hate myself every time I say vinyl. We'll start with records and we'll end with records, uh, I think. But uh, And then also the other music-oriented project that's going to take a little bit longer to put together than I thought, but that's okay because I think the best things do. The best things uh, take a little bit of effort to put together. So there you go. Uh, I did not mention my shitbag neighbors have moved out, so that's fantastic. Uh, they're horrible people who were... Uh, while we didn't interact with them directly very often, they were very invasive in our lives from the reek of marijuana coming from their lawn to their uh, extremely loud profanity to their parties at odd hours uh, to the ridiculous bass music that we could hear over our television. And uh, there's not really a whole lot you can do about that sort of thing, it turns out, unfortunately, except to wait for them to leave. And now they're gone. And, uh, fuck them. I hope horrible things happen to all of them. Boy, that's not a good way to end things, is it? That was an instance where music did not bring us together. But I hope you guys have great neighbors. I hope you have musical experiences that enrich your lives and the lives of those around you. And always remember, as long as you're not those neighbors, I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things Podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.